once your wealth port profile gets big enough and you hire a, you know, a wealth advisor, somebody to manage your funds, you're going to pay him or her anyway to manage your funds for you. And that's a smart decision. The same way I pay my property manager on the single family residences that I own, that's 10% of the gross income that I pay to a property manager. And she is worth every single damn penny. You want to know why? Because she takes care of the work so I can make more money and more investments. The same thing with a wealth advisor, which is why I started this off by talking about, you know, I might consider doing that because even though I like that stuff and I like knowing about it, it may be smarter for me to have a subject matter expert step in and take care of that for me, particularly at the size of my portfolio right now. I, I can guarantee I'm leaving stuff on the table from an investment perspective because my full-time job is not managing my stock portfolio. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Higher Standard Podcast, where we give you ultra-premium, unfiltered truth when it comes to building your wealth and curating the lifestyle of your dreams. No games, no drama, and no shenanigans. I am your host, Chris Nahibi, and I'm here to help you distill the immense amount of information and disinformation out there on the interwebs and give you the opportunity to choose a higher standard for yourself. There are no gurus here, and no one gives a damn about how wealthy you look. I'm an attorney and a banker, amongst other things. Does that mean you should listen to me? Hell no. This is just full disclosure that while we talk about money, wealth, law, investing, and a lot of related topics, you should always speak to your own advisors for an opinion tailored to your unique investment perspective. I am obligated to tell you that nothing contained in this show is in fact legal or investment advice and is being provided solely for entertainment purposes. So sit back, Relax your mind and get ready for a different kind of podcast where we elevate your baseline in crispy, high-resolution audio. This isn't a different standard. It's the higher standard. Woo. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and tell you right up front, I am exhausted. It has been a long week just after Thanksgiving, and you know I had a lot of turkey and a lot of, a lot of beer. But uh, we just launched this podcast. Finally was able to share it with everybody out there. And thank you all so, so much. The feedback has been resoundingly positive. Sometimes I wonder if people are just unwilling to tell you, hey, Chris, like this, this really sucks. Like you should consider, uh, you know, something else. But no one said that. Uh, a couple, couple people have commented that some of the guest interviews, the audio doesn't sound super great. And a lot of that are kind of the nuances of using other people's equipment whenever they record remotely. But we've got a plan of attack for that. I got extra mics, mics, a kit. We're going to send it out to people so they can record on the same stuff that I record on, and that should improve the audio quality. But by far and away, I think by outward measures, it was it was a successful launch, I guess. We made the top 50 in entrepreneurship in the United States, which is cool. But y'all know me. I, uh, I really, really wanted the top 100 in business, and that was probably naive uh, and overzealous. But you know, a lot of people have been working on this podcast with me, and I, I really felt that it was my job to promote. And kind of push the envelope as far as getting people to listen, but uh, it just did not happen. And uh, it was kind of one of those, it wasn't a failure, but it was definitely a letdown a little bit. I, I think that now I can appreciate how amazingly difficult it is to get people who listen to a podcast to come over from places in, in an ecosystem they're used to. If they're on you know, TikTok or Instagram or Facebook. To have them leave that app or that website and go to you know the podcast app that they're using or the website they download their podcasts on and listen to you there, that's actually a monumental effort uh, by today's standards, I guess. So we didn't exactly get uh, where I wanted to be, but it's just the beginning, and I hope that you know you like and share this if if, it, if it's something that you enjoy, and if not, I appreciate you giving it the opportunity. 
It's been a it's been a whirlwind of a week. So a lot of exciting stuff coming. We have tons of podcasts already recorded. So a lot more to come. Plan on seeing a drop every Tuesday with some special stuff coming in between as they may arise. A couple of things to talk about before we really get into today's topic, which is one that I get asked a lot about. A lot of younger people, a lot of older people, they always ask me about retirement accounts. And I don't know why. I'm not a financial expert, but I do have a, I wouldn't call it a theory. I do have a plan of action that I use for myself on this and kind of a concept that I abide by. And I'm going to share that and get into that with you. But I got to admit to being an absolute asshole of a hypocrite. First, a while ago, those of you who follow my social media, you saw that I did a post on the American Express black card, the Centurion card, talking about how it was completely a waste of money and you should not do it because effectively you get the same benefits as a Centurion card. A lot of that was true, uh, still is today, but they've added some additional benefits and made some things, uh, you know, different. And as you may have imagined, I am taking ownership of one, my wife is too, and there's a lot of questions, I'm sure. I'm going to unpack a lot of that in a YouTube kind of vlog style video where I think sharing it you know, more in a more personal setting uh, would be a little bit better. But to give the answer to some of the highlight questions that I think people are going to give me, how much are we spending on our personal cards? It's typically north of around 300000 a year we spend on the personal Amex. Uh, last year was just under, I think, 350000 And by right now, the recording of this podcast, the first week in December, we're already uh, north of 300, we'll probably finish the year around 340, 350-ish in spending. And I'm not bragging about that. That is fucking terrible. But that's the the lifestyle that we lead and kind of the, the spending run rate that we've had for several years. Obviously, my project cars are not business expenses. They're personal ones, and those are not cheap. But, you know, pay to play, I guess. Um, so we were extended it on the personal side. My business spending, just for reference, on just some of the business stuff that we do for real estate, it's about two hundred fifty thousand a year on the business side, and that is not enough to get uh, the Centurion card on that on that side of things. But uh, all in all, it, it, it's um, it's it's pretty interesting. They broke down the math to me. American Express did, and shout out to Ryan for for really helping me out in that process. The math is actually pretty compelling on why we decided to do it. I'm going to share that in, the, in a, that upcoming video. And I was actually taken aback, and I had to think about it for a couple of days before we said said we were going to we were going to do it, my wife and I, just because I wasn't sure that I was getting the math right, and then I also felt like a massive piece of shit, hypocrite, d bag. Uh, and my first purchase in the card was on my four hundred dollar Apple Watch, buying a two dollar coffee, which I made a joke about on somebody else's Instagram page, but I did that <laughs> that way. So um, I guess it's not as extravagant of a lifestyle, you know, change. <laughs> you might think once you get it but anyway um more to come on 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 what a d-bag i am so the number one question i get asked online and it's typically a lot of young people who are you know transitioning to their work phase of life but i get asked by a a bunch of different people typically you know when they get a little bit older people are saying you know i'm struggling saving for money to buy a property and the number one question i get is about retirement counts and 401ks and iras and, and planning for their future I'm not a wealth planner. I'm not a wealth advisor. You know, I'm not a you know estate planner or something something like that. I just have kind of the concepts that I've subscribed to over the years because they've worked for me. And I don't know that they're resoundingly going to work for everybody. Keep in mind that I do love real estate. That is my like investment choice that I geek out on. But I also like you know the long term stock market plays. I'm at a point in my life where I'm considering whether it's a better idea to have a 
third party wealth advisor manage my funds for me because the fee relative to the gains they can get me would be nominal and it'd be one less thing I have to focus on. But part of what I do is is understanding the market and understanding how you know the business sentiment is, you know is going on and, and how some of these companies react. And I definitely keep my eye on CNBC all day long, not necessarily the channel, but the ticker. So, you know, for me, it's probably going to be a, a longer, more thought out process, a little more pragmatic. But all in all, let's go over some basic numbers that I don't know you need to compare yourself to, but to think about on average. So the average retirement age for Americans is 66 years old, according to a Gallup poll uh, that I read. Yeah, I, I did some homework for this episode. Crazy, right? Which is up from about 60 years old from the 1990s. So people are just generally living a little bit longer and the average retirement age is going up. With Americans living to an average age of about 79 years old, that's a good, let's call it 12 more years of life after you retire. You're going to need money to live on. And if you if you have a mortgage payment or you're paying rent, you're going to need to calculate all that out and figure out what the numbers are. And there's a ton, a ton of people out there who will tell you like, this is the rule you do that by. There's an 80% rule. And you know, I'll get into a little bit of that, but then I'll, I'll get quickly into kind of what I subscribe to. So... There was another study that I read that said the median retirement age savings by age kind of like range in your 20s. Most people, the median, have about 16,000. By their 30s, 45,000. By their 40s, 63,000. By their 50s, 117,000. And by their 60s, $172,000 in retirement. That is not a lot of money when you think about the fact that if you're living for 12 more years, let's say you spend you know $100,000 a year. That ain't going that way. So, I mean, unless you're planning on living a very frugal life and you've managed to pay down a lot of those longer debt, you know, expenses like cars and, you know, homes and stuff like that, and you don't plan on traveling a whole lot, I, I don't know how you make that work, particularly if you're like in, you know, expensive states, Florida, Texas, you know, places that just cost a lot of money to be in in general. There's also lots of things to consider when you think about your retirement. There are tax consequences, even though there's a retirement age or tax consequences drop off. You know, that's, you know, what if you want to retire before the age of 65? What if you want to retire in your late 50s, early 60s? I mean, you have to plan. And I think about that a lot. I mean, it's the business that I'm in. I look at a lot of people's balance sheets and income statements. And, and one of the things that I think resonates with me heavily are those that could retire today, not because of their retirement accounts, but because of their passive income. I don't think I've met very many people personally. And keep in mind, I do have an intimate knowledge of most people's working financial position just because of the nature of what I do, whether it's law firm or real estate or you know, the bank and all those other things. There's very few people that I've met that live a lifestyle that I kind of aspire to that live off of the retirement assets that they saved over time. They may, they may have had like a major liquidity event, you know, started a company, sold it or, you know, inherited some money from their parents or, you know, winning the lottery. I don't care what it was. You know, they could have bought a property that appreciated a ton and sold it. And now they're living in a you know a smaller place and they have this big kind of nest egg. And, you know, that's all good. Like, I don't judge anybody for that. But. I don't foresee that coming, and I really can't plan for that. I looked at a couple other studies. You know, I think the Federal Reserve put out one. It was a little bit more stratified by age, but effectively, they said from the ages of 60 to 64, the average American had about $221,000 in retirement. 65 to 69, about $206,000 in retirement. It went down probably because most people start spending the money in retirement at that point. So you can kind of see like that money will not really get you there. So, you know, I mean, a 401k is free money. If your company is giving you a 401k, I absolutely max out what they give me. So my company, I think, gives me somewhere between the neighborhood of 5 and 6%. It's been a while since I looked at it. They give me that. I'm going to match that with my savings just because that's free money I'm not going to leave on the table and just not take. 
And a lot of people who are struggling to make like their first real estate investment or buy some stock or possibly go into crypto, they always say something like, you know, if I took that money and went into cryptocurrency, I could make more money with it. Yeah, you can, but that's a nest egg that you won't ever touch. And let's say you do make good investments through your life and when you retire, that's just another thing that you have, that 401k. It's not enough to get you to where you probably want to be, but it's another thing to have. And why would you give up free money? Why would you do that? Especially given the tax basis of 401ks and IRAs. If you work for yourself and you know you don't have somebody matching you, that's a different judgment call. You know, I, do I have an IRA outside of my 401k? No. But I also have a 401k as kind of a nest egg, you know, just in the background operating on its own. It comes out of my paychecks. I don't have to worry about it. A lot of self-employed entrepreneurs that I know don't necessarily go that route until they start, you know, estate planning for, you know, tax purposes and retiring and they get a little bit older. And they might come in with a little bit more money to start their IRA and, you know, last 10, 20 years of their life, whatever their working life anyway, whatever they want to do, that's all good. But I've always liked the ability to have more active investments that give me more passive income. And what I mean by that is, is your 401k, once you set it, you can kind of forget it and walk away. But my real estate stuff, the stocks that I trade in my active trading accounts, and by active for me, I mean that I buy frequently and sell rarely, right? I'm buying, you know, Apple, I'm buying Google, I'm buying companies that I work with every single day that I believe in. You know, I bought some Tesla. That's actually turned out to be a really good investment. I bought some Peloton, not so good of investment. I bought it pre-pandemic and during the pandemic, I guess, but it started to take a hit, you know, and whenever IPOs that are interesting come up, I try to get in on, on some of those. Uh, I think I got in a little bit of Robinhood, but you know, that's been a eh, kind of whatever investment so far. But I hold those with the plan to hold them long term. And, and the reason why I do that is I really have subscribed to kind of the Warren Buffett mindset of, you know, low cost index funds, really high end, high value stocks that I believe in for the long run. You know, and if they pay dividends, uh, you know, I typically look at that because you get dividends quarterly. And I know a lot of people who say, Chris, I hate real estate. I don't want to mess with real estate. That's a lot of extra work. I don't want to do that. I'd rather invest my money in the stock market. Good, good. Do that. You know, I just understand you're going to get paid probably on a quarterly basis for dividends and you're not going to get a whole lot of dividends until your account gets built up. But, you know, that that is something you can build over time the same way you can build real estate. But there's just different volatility and different things to know. I like both, but I love real estate. People say, well, Chris, you have to actively manage real estate. I would say, no, you don't. Once your once your wealth port profile gets big enough and you hire a, you know, a wealth advisor, somebody to manage your funds, you're going to pay him or her anyway to manage your funds for you. And that's a smart decision. The same way I pay my property manager on the single family residences that I own, that's 10% of the gross income that I pay to a property manager. And she is worth every single damn penny. You want to know why? Because she takes care of the work so I can make more money and more investments. The same thing with a wealth advisor, which is why I started this off by talking about, you know, I might consider doing that because even though I like that stuff and I like knowing about it, it may be smarter for me to have a subject matter expert step in and take care of that for me, particularly at the size of my portfolio right now. I, I can guarantee I'm leaving stuff on the table from an investment perspective because my full time job is not managing my stock portfolio. So there's some general rules, rules of thumb that are given out by financial experts on how much an individual should have, you know, when it comes time for the retirement. And I think they use a metric typically of 65 to 67 of retirement age. Uh, you know, whatever. If that's when you want to retire, then so be it. But typically speaking, Americans in their 30s need, quote, one to two times their annual salary. If you're in your 30s and you're making $100,000 a year, that means you need $200,000 $100, to $200,000 in your annual salary saved up. But if you remember what I talked about earlier, Americans in their 30s on average, according to the Gallup poll, only had 45000 That's less than half the low. 
and 25% of the high range. You can go all the way up to Americans in their 60s need to have eight to 10 times their annual salary. And if you're 60 years old and you're making $100,000 a year, that's 800 to a million dollars. But yet here we know in the same study that Americans in their 60s on average, the median, I should say, at least has $172,000 in retirement savings. That's just, that's woefully short. So that goes to show you that not only is a 401k just one vehicle, but if you're relying solely on that to get there, I can tell you the average numbers don't look that strong for you. You need to invest, not because you you like it or because it's cool, because if you ever get sick and you can't work, if you ever want to retire one day and truly retire the American dream concept of retiring, or you just want to quit your day job and focus on the, on the other stuff, you need to have that extra passive income. So just to reiterate, what that means, for example, a 35-year-old making $45,000 a year should have up to $90,000 in their retirement account, somewhere between forty-five dollars and $90,000 in their retirement account, which is twice the median and average of what most Americans have saved. And that's the recommendation from advisors. That's the recommendation from people whose sole job it is to know that. One of the other rules I kind of foreshadowed earlier was some experts cite like an 80% rule you know, for retirement planning which pretty much says that you should plan to live on 80% of your pre-retirement income. I kind of like that rule more because you, you all know that I really focus heavily on cash flow, money in, money out. Your net worth means nothing to me. You could have a $10 million net worth and spend all your money because you got a ton of expenses, or you could have a $1 million net worth and have a ton of free cash flow because you have no expenses. So that, that's really kind of what I feel like whenever I do these things, but I don't live by a rule. But if there's a rule I like, it's this one. And the reason why is it's telling you when you get older and you want to retire or something happens, God forbid, you should plan to live on 80% of the money that you're making right now. You're not going to make as much when you retire because you're gonna, one of your income streams is going to go away, but you should be making about 80% of what you were making while you were working somewhere else. And that's a little bit of a, a twist of the rule, but essentially what, what this is telling you is effectively what I'm telling you. We all had those friends who were always constantly looking for a way to make more money. And you know that I love the side hustle. You know that I love that passion. People who are in their 20s, 30s, 40s, if you're not thinking about auxiliary ways to make money, investments, I'm not talking about a second home. I'm talking about a rental property, or I'm talking about you know, starting another business on the side, the hours of 5 p.m. to 9 a.m. versus your 9 to 5. If you're not thinking of stuff like that, those people who are around you who are talking about it are not just like nerding out on it, who caught into a podcast, who are into a cult. I mean, this whole like subscribe to my you know seminar bullshit, like pick up you know, my quick get-rich-quick scheme on, on social media is prevalent for a reason, because we all need this. Now, the other side of that coin is, is that information is all out there, but most of us will not act. Over 90% of you who listen to this right now are not going to go out there and change the way you're doing things because you heard me say this on a podcast. And I can appreciate and respect that. I, you don't have to respect me, but you should respect yourself enough to know that you should want more and earning more is not greed. We... We look at greed and we say, oh, that person's greedy. They have this, this, and this, and they want more. No, no. Greed is not bad. Greed is good. And I'm not going to say this in the, wolf, I mean, in the Wall Street movie context. And I'm not going to say go out there and you know, take, take and rob, steal, you know, cheat and steal. What I'm saying to you is aspiring to earn more money is not a bad thing. And if you need to find creative ways to do that in business and in, you know, investments, then you need to do that. Because if something happens to us, we're only as good as the hours we can put into our jobs until such time as our money and our investments are making money for us. Some people are born into that luxury where they have that lifestyle handed to them by the, by the sheer fact that their parents understood this concept or maybe their parents' parents. 
but a lot of us, including myself, we got to build that for ourselves. And what I'm building now in my 40s is not for me, and neither should you. It should be for your kids. It should be for your spouse. It should be for the day that something happens that we're not here. So people ask me all the time, like, why are you so passionate about this? Like, why do you care so much about telling people this? It's because we don't get taught this in school. Think about how you went through school. Nobody taught you how to buy a home. Nobody taught you how to buy a car. Nobody taught you how to build your credit. And I can guarantee you, nobody told you about planning for the day that you can't work because they're so excited to tell you, you need, you need calculus in order to get a job in the market. And it's going to be really important for you to understand these. It's not, it's just not, I'm sorry. It's not, this is a more important topic in school that we should be talking about. It's about how every single one of us should have that same drive and ambition for success and living paycheck to paycheck is not that. Okay. I know that's harsh. I know a lot of people have different circumstances. Not everybody can have that luxury. It's funny because financial advisors typically suggest, and I remember when I was starting out just working in general, I had a financial advisor tell me I should plan to save 10 to 15% of my gross income starting in my 20s. At the time, I was like 22. And that was in addition to the money that was supposed to be set aside for short-term goals, such as like a new car, like buying a house. And I'm sitting here thinking like, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. I'm working right now. You want me to set aside 10 to 15% of my gross income for retirement. Okay, that, that's a lot but that's double what most people put away, including myself right now, because I'm not going to put away more than my company matches. But then I need to have the extra money to save for short-term goals. People are buying homes later and later and later in life because it's just incredibly expensive. First of all, there's a huge supply issue in in the single family market. If you want to buy a home and you're a first-time home buyer, it's tough. I respect that. So when you start thinking about stuff like this, it's kind of nuts. So I'll give you a great example. I saw the other day on, I think it was Instagram, that an NFL player was doing this awesome thing. He, took, he, went, to, he went on a whiteboard and he wrote down his rookie season salary in 2017, which was $450,000. And he said, like, this might sound like a lot of money. It does. But then he's like, take about half off, you know, for taxes. You're now at about 225000 And he started going through his expenses. I mean, he had to pay managers. He had to pay a league fee. There was a retirement, you know, highly, highly suggested by the NFL retirement, you know, donation, if you will, to your own retirement. They're they're effective equivalent of a 401k of about $18,000 a year. And he started going through all these expenses. Well, before he got to having a home, having a car, you know, he was already down below $200,000. And then when he got into past the rent or, or buying a home and then, you know, having a car. He wound up having about $150,000 a year left over. And that didn't include emergencies, saving, investing. That was just money to spend on things like food, on like going places, on seeing people, on, you know, on things that you want, buying clothes. I mean, all that would come out of that. So we look at a lot of these people who, who are doing like all these things. And we say they're making a ton of money. But when you start breaking down how much life costs, it gets expensive. And it's still expensive when you retire. So the numbers right now clearly state that there is a nationwide epidemic of people who do not have the financial ability to retire. There are some people like my father. I love him to death. Who's in his 70s. He will always work. He's passionate about what he does. He's, he's hungry. He likes going into the office. Has he slowed down? Oh, yeah. He'd be the first person to tell you that. Because it's hard to have that same level of energy, the same level of hustle when you get to be that age. But he worked hard, hard when he was in his 40s and 50s, and even in his 60s, actually. 
And that's, that's what I aspire to do too. I just hope that whenever I'm still working in my 70s, because I never really want to truly retire, that I get to work on those things that I'm passionate about because they've started to make me money to a point where I can at least live off of 80% of the income of my salary, which I'm now making from passive investments. And that is my goal. So a lot of people say, Chris, do I invest in a 401k? Yes, you match your employers. If you're self-employed, do I invest in an IRA? If you're not going to ever work for somebody else, you need to ask yourself the question, are you disciplined enough to make consistent investments that return passive income to you, stuff like real estate, stuff like stocks, whatever that is, and do it in a methodical, consistent way over time? If you don't have that level of discipline and you have consistent money coming in, you should really think about an IRA as just one of the vehicles that will help you when you retire. But we all need investments above and beyond retirement accounts. Kind of a murky answer to a very consistent question. I hope that helps be at least thought-provoking to a lot of people. I think a lot of this is, is stuff that we kind of know and we accept as general society. And we think that we're all the exception to the rule. But we're not. You know, We're not doing anything about this. We're not doing anything to change it. We all should be taking a hard look at our financial perspective, our positions and changing the perspective of the way we look at ourselves. We are not ready to retire right now, which means you shouldn't be taking your foot off the gas pedal. You should be working hard. So the day comes where you're like my dad and you want to slow it down, you can do that. Once again, I appreciate every single one of you for coming out, listening to the show. It, it is uh, really a pleasure, and I've, I've enjoyed the process of putting the podcast together. Your feedback, your, your response to the launch has been immensely and greatly appreciated. I can't wait to share some super exciting guests coming up. There are some names that I'm extremely proud of, and honestly, some people that, that I had on that, that just surprised the hell out of me. Super, super great stories. So with that, we'll check you next time. And if there's anything you want to see or you want to hear me talk about, please, by all means, send me messages, DM me on you know, Instagram, send me a message wherever you can. There's an email out there. You can find me. I'd love to, to start answering questions in a little bit more real-time of fashion. Take care. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on the Higher Standard Podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you are listening to this on. If you like this episode, please write a review and share it with us. You're getting the show up and running right now, so every message, every review, and every note counts. This show exists to showcase what's possible when leaders decide to uphold a higher standard for their businesses, their investments, their families, and most importantly, themselves. If you want to see more of my content, I post daily on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. So be sure to follow me on your favorite social media platform. And with that, it is a wrap. And as always, I look forward to hanging with you all on the next episode.